0: One day we will rise. It might not be in my lifetime, but we have it in numbers and we will rise and things will change. Uh, that's a powerful quote by Milan Kundera saying, The struggle of men against power is the struggle of memories against forgetting. Those four months as a summer student really gave me both a rude awakening as well as a powerful strong political awakening of the class consciousness. To me I think that's where the art making becomes part of the testimony of people's will and desire for change. Justice at its best is correcting everything that stands against love. And I think the lesson is what capitalists would do to dismantle, to destroy, and to wipe away these communities of love.
1: This is Downstream From What? I am Kem Moffat. Today, I am talking to Winnie Ng. Uh, My
0: name is Winnie Ng, and I'm a longtime community and labour activist in Toronto, uh, the former chair of the Newtiful National Chair for Social Justice and Democracy at, at Toronto Metropolitan University.
1: Let me just start by saying you, of course, have a long labour human rights activist history, and we're well known for that. Uh, working with you, one of the things that struck me is how much you're also open to art and imagery as modes of expression Mm. and social justice. And for example, this morning I was just remembering at your retirement party. I believe that was a retirement party (laughs) because it feels like you haven't retired at all. But anyway, your retirement party... It was all the blend was all there. The politics, the social commentary. I remember there was an interpretive dancer, as I yeah, recall. Yeah, by Rodney.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, Rodney yeah. Uh, did a dance. Um, can you talk a little bit about the importance or why the such a broad range for you in hmm. social justice activism?
0: I see myself as a as a visual person. I learn by images and. As um, activists, like I was born in Hong Kong and came to Canada at the age of seventeen as a foreign student, so most of my political growing up started from here. And one of the big influences has been Paulo Freire, oh. uh, with the book Pedagogy of the Oppressed and the approach of popular education as a way to engage people. And get them to to act. But before that, the the whole notion of visioning, the notion of reimagining, becomes a cornerstone of people need. To, much as we are stuck here, we need to reimagine what is possible. What's the what's the best scenario that we could be at? And that, to me, is how we can motivate people to act. You know, Ai Weiwei has a quote that. Uh, creativity is the power to act, and so for me, you know, even when when I did my you know doctoral thesis, it's more reimagining our labor movement from an anti-racism decolonizing perspective. So it's I guess it, for me, it it brings us to a level and a place where it's hopeful, but it's also and, and that's where arts come in for me. It becomes the, the etching of social movements. Etching, in, in a sense, for me, it's, it, it's emotive. There's a whole different level beyond words that can get, you know, draw resonance. The other level is that piece of art also becomes a documentation of the history there's uh, that's a powerful quote by Milan Kundera saying the struggle of man against power is the struggle of memories against forgetting so all these legacy of arts making creations these are part of the history and documentations of social change and you know our collective movement for social justice and particularly in the current political climate, where authoritarian governments are trying to erase, trying to rewrite history. Um, actually, in a way, they try to wipe out any <laughs> fragments of those particular history, be it in Tiananmen Square Massacre or the Hong Kong 2019 movement, protest movement for democracy. You know, in, in that sense, the whole June 4th movement started as a movement against corruption where students want to have that sense of freedom and choice and to be treated more justly. When you have millions of people coming together, those images... You know, not only does it not only does the movement, you know, does it propel people to act, but it also gives each other courage. You know, that sense of bravery becomes much more evidence, and uh, and it and then, then it reinforces and trigger and inspire more people people to join. And so, to me, those the participations is part of that motivating force, and you know, what has been one of the most moving or iconic images of the whole Tiananmen movement has been that long, white-shirt person. Uh, his name is Wang Weiling, and we don't know where he is right now. But the way he would, you know, in a, carrying the shopping bag and just stands in front of the column of tanks on on Chang'an Street, that image, it symbolizes the resistance, the courage, as well as the determinations for, you know, for people when, you know, at one of these days, I, I guess I'm sort of, it's part of my own imaginations and part of my own hopefulness is also saying one day we will rise. It might not be in my lifetime, but we have it in numbers and we will rise. And things would change.
1: There's a pretty powerful image for me from my time as Jack Layton Chair mm-hmm. of you in the I Weiwei exhibit oh. <laughs> talking about student social movements. Um, just a beautiful image, just the whole knowing you and knowing I Weiwei and uh, what you were talking about. Could you talk a little bit about that? What would be the importance of being in the Ai Weiwei exhibit?
0: I think you know, carries so much history, like at being the son of a poet who was, you know, the fa- he's, his father was persecuted and politically persecuted and sent to labor camp for years. But for him to use art and to document, to create... To me, I think I have a lot of respect for Ai Weiwei. And I think his quote about, you know, creativity is the power to reject the past, to change to change the status quo, and to seek new potentials. And I think it encapsulates the whole notion of reimagining, but also reimagining in a way that is tangible that we can act as well. And I particularly love his that image of him carrying, you know, holding a thousand years a Ming pottery. You know that pottery urns represents the traditions, the history, the oppressions, and then to smash it down into pieces. Uh, I think that's you know that. That's what we're trying to do. But it's the the other piece as social justice activists, we are also trying to, how do we, are we trying to put all these broken pieces together or are we trying, trying to collectively create a new mold, a new piece of art or new society where, the public commons becomes the grounding, becomes the core values, you know. So there's so much parallel to politics as well. You know, we are not here just trying to say no to this, no to that, but also saying what we want to see and what what do we say yes for and what do we stand up for and what do we speak out in solidarity with. Even right now with the period of post-pandemic, are we going back to... The new normal, or do we seize this opportunity to create something really dynamic, really forward-looking, that it's grounded on equity, justice, and you know, and fairness. In terms of movement building, in terms of union organizing and the community organizing, we are also. Creating too, you know, uh, mm-hmm. building something from creating a collective piece of a work. I'm I, I'm not so bold in saying it's a piece of art, mm-hmm. but it's uh, that movement creations becomes not only a moment in time of people coming together. If you say, for example, if you take a look look at the Occupy movement, you know that slogan of ninety nine versus one percent. It encapsulates. Uh, that disparity, Uh, but also the encampment where we bring, where people are brought together through discussions, through arts, through music, through dance, Uh, to me, I think those are part of that organizing, Or if you bring it to more recently with the Amazon uh, workers organizing, and their success in Stagland Island. Uh, Chris Small, the president of the Amazon Workers Union, um, in his talk last month at York University, talk about, you know, we are here to build relationships. So he spent months on end by the bus stations in front of the plant, creating, you know, doing barbecues, engaging people as friends, not just as someone who's to be signed as a for the union card but more as building a community and to me i think that's where arts creation comes in is that how do we build a tapestry of people interacting for a common goal and maybe i'll share this as a, like my first job in canada was in montreal working as a chambermaid, a room attendant at Queen Elizabeth Hotel. And those four months as a summer student really gave me both a rude awakening as well as a powerful, strong political awakening of the class consciousness. And then it integrated with race and gender, when you walk in, you see how the color changes, skin color of the workers changes from the front of the house to the back of the house who work in the kitchen in housekeeping and all, all the other area. It was a moment of being politicized and being really humble as well. You know, if through those four months, I also experienced racial and sexual harassment, you know, from customers, uh, from the guests. And I was too scared and too ashamed to complain to anyone, even though it was a union shop. So when I left four months later, I, I was angry with myself, feeling that, you know, why didn't I do something? Why didn't I speak out? Uh, why was I so timid and chicken out? <laughs> uh, at the same time, I also left with a sense of guilt, that I'm, you know, I had the luxury to move on, to pursue my studies. And here they are all these immigrant women, women of color, who are stuck in these jobs. Maybe that was that core, the fire in the belly that kept me coming back, going into organizing, going to union organizing, being anti-racist, being a feminist. It's I think it's all part of that. Recognizing rage can fuel actions and recognizing that as a feminist or as an anti-racism activist, the whole intersections of race, class and gender and other forms of discriminations, it, you can't be just one without being the others. <laughs> Part of the challenge in our movement building is we have too many silos. Aside from the relations building, aside from meeting people from the heart, it's how do we use creativity and arts in deepening some of that organizing, deep, deepening some of that relations building and movement building. I'm also being cognizant that I, whatever I'm doing, these are not victims, They are, they are warriors. All the workers, be it in the garment factory or hotels or domestic workers that I volunteer with, these are warriors. Yeah. <laughs> Um, juggling so many different tasks and do it with such grace and dignity you know so it's in that sense it's how do we center their voices uh, using more creative methods using arts using songs uh dance you know um paper mache whatever or, or videotaping you know uh how do we engage them in ways that so they, the spotlights are on them?
1: I want to jump to students who stand with Hong Kong. Oh, yes. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of the Hong Kong student movement, but also the artistic use of technologies or the artistic use of imagery?
0: So the whole pro-democracy protest movement started in June uh, 2019, first with a million people's march, and then two million people's march. And those were really peaceful, non-violent demonstrations where people expressing and demanding the Hong Kong government not to proceed with the amendments. A lot of young people came out. Then the police counter the protests with such brutality and such brute force using uh, tear gas, rubber bullets, and the water cannons with chemical irritants to spray the students. So that's how, that's when the students, the young people start, you know, organizing and preparing themselves for self-defense. Five years before that, Oh, four years before that, yeah. There was the Umbrella Movement, where uh, the young people were pushing for universal suffrage in Hong Kong, where one person should have one vote to elect the chief executive, the, uh, the top dog of the, uh, of the city. Uh, as to compare, currently, there's only a committee of 1,100 people from the elites, from the professional class that have the privilege to elect the chief executive officer. So that's how this whole umbrella movement came came about. Uh, They did occupy the main streets for 79 days and it it got disbanded, dispersed by the, the police. In terms of the umbrella movement, I think one of the most iconic image is the yellow umbrella where the yellow rep, you know symbolized the color of democracy and the umbrella it's not only worked as a shield to protect against police pepper spray or whatever but it's also it symbolized that you we can cover or hide under the umbrella we can shield each other with the umbrella and you can be part of my, under my, my group, under the umbrella. So there's a whole sense of uh, collectivity in there as well. And that symbol gets carried into the 2019 movement where people would use black umbrella as a way to block off, you know, continue blocking off the, the, uh, the police violence using it as a self-defense and, you know, using it to shield each other from the attacks and from the pepper spray and the tear gas. Now, if we go back to the, the 2019 movement, the whole notions of be water becomes rather the mantra for the young people, the, the protesters. The 2019 movement is seen as a leaderless Movement. There's no one particular high-profile organizers or groups that took charge. Most participants, they rely on social media, telegram groups, to say, we'll meet here, come. And that's how you know, different, piece, different actions erupted spontaneously, right? And so that sense of be water is also represents that fluidity, and that softness, the soft power of water, that, you know, every drop of water, when it, you know, eventually it can, it can break the stone, right? So it's that sense of determination as well. And I think the other symbolic and, you know, very really powerful and inspiring uh, arts representation is the Lennon Wall, where people you know just ordinary citizens would use you know be it stickies or um, and write a message and put it in public spaces to extend their support and cheer on the protesters you know I was there in in October 2017 and to see all these notes that come up, and posters, all these art-making posters, in different subway stations, uh, in street corners. It was, it was such a public expression of love. Mm. You know, I can't think of a better word than that whole notion of love—love love for each other, love for the community, but also love for justice. It rejuvenates people, right? And yes, there were people. There were. Pro-establishment people trying to destroy these art pieces, trying to take them down. But once it's down, the next morning there's a whole new series <laughs> of posters that come up. It just shows the t- tenacity, the creativity of ordinary people who are doing, who do their part. You know, uh, they are nameless, they are faceless, but they are part of the movement too.
1: What really struck me with Hong Kong was that it kept getting tighter and tighter, like the laws kept getting tighter, the ability to visualize, and yet there kept coming up new ways of expressing and breaking through. Yeah,
0: yeah. and actually, I should just add, bee water, actually, I think most people borrow it from Bruce Lee. Oh right! Right. (laughs) In terms of the whole martial art, the kung fu, it's it's how do you how do you be agile as water in countering countering the opponent without hurting yourself? Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, you know the other piece is yeah. Can you talk about the creativity and people, even despite the the suppressions. And the tyranny, it's people find ways to protest, to express their, their, their anger or outrage, right? Last year, last November, uh, there was a, bl- you know, a bit of a movement during the whole in China with this zero tolerance lockdown, COVID lockdown. Over 40 people, Uyghurs, in a locked apartment building got burnt. To, die, uh, to death So it created a, Such a public outcry across the country They can Use words So people there Those brave souls Carry a piece of white paper And that was dubbed as the white paper revolutions mm-hmm. That's it But even with the white paper You know People got arrested but that's the extent where creativity becomes linked with that sense of sense of connections with each other. You don't have to use any words. We know social justice movement or movements movements for change. We learn from each other's globally, right? We take inspiration from Arab Spring. From, uh, <laughs> uh, from all the protests around the world And there's a synergy that goes on And bring the movement to another level And I think, you know, uh, social movement learning It's not just for those who are participating In, in, the mo- in, in that moment, there and then But it's also for people like ourselves Watching from afar through the TV or else Or reading it these are knowledge production, too, <laughs> that, that inadvertently would be part of our own organizing for the next level. If I take a look at eight, 1989, what happened with the Tiananmen Square massacre, the student uprising in October, Berlin Wall collapsed. There's a domino effect. And, and to me, I think that's where the, the sense of hopefulness comes in. We just never know when the next moment of uprising, where things would collapse or that there will be a, a huge change. You know, the organizing, to me, should be continuous. It's ongoing. That we'll be ready when, <laughs> when the moment comes.
1: So you talk about the possibility, it seems to me, of... Um Revolt happening at any moment or um, mm. revolution happening at any moment, and a type of readiness that uh, an astuteness of being present to it. Can you elaborate that a little more?
0: I think, you know, if I reflect back on the years of organizing and movement building, it's a lot of times we do it from campaign to campaign. We leap from one campaign to another without finding ways to deepen the relationship building so that we be able to sustain that, you know, that that connections until the next round. Uh, and to me, I think that's where, you know, there's a lot that we need to to learn from, you know, the global social justice movement, but there's also, Something that's very basic is back to what do we do at the local level? What do we do at our community level in terms of organizing, in terms of being able to and come up with more creative way of organizing? If I learn from the Amazon Workers Union organizing is they rely on music, on food, on barbecue, on just talking beyond just about the workplace. You know, sometimes... As activists, we are so focused on task. We co- go into meeting talking about what's agenda, without really meeting people from the heart and making that connections. Mm-hmm. So there's, So we, it's e- much easier for people who volunteer, quote unquote, in the movement, to walk away when there's no deepening friendship or bond that's made. You know, the, the notion of being ready. You do all these organizing, not as an obligations, but more as out of a, the love for the community, right? And this becomes, you know, what we do on a daily basis. So when the next crisis comes around, we'll be ready. There's a quote from Martin Luther King that I use a lot. Power at its best, it's love implementing the demands of justice. And justice, at its best, is correcting everything that stands against love.
1: You were in the protests in the street in Hong Kong, were you not?
0: I participated in three protests. Yeah, I was there for ten days. I think there are a few things that really stand out. It's how together and how loving each other were as protesters. You know, it's sort of the competitions, the notion of greed, the notions of me first becomes all secondary. And then you see, as a white haired person, I have young. You know, young people are all dressed in black. You know, these are the frontline protesters coming to telling me that, you know, grandma, just stay behind. Don't (laughs) take care of yourself. And then those are things that you don't see, you don't feel in any other circumstances. Um, The other point is the participations of young women as frontline protesters. To me, I thought, wow. You know, you you see young women doing the same thing, picking up canisters, breaking you know, taking away the some of the fences, um, and to me, I think that's that's what we haven't seen before. And they were they were in a way just as equals, you know, in um in a fair, fairly male dominated protest movement. So that was the other change. And then the third is how quick the police responded and retaliated with tear gas and, and all that. I remember the first march, we were actually with a whole group of international trade unionists, uh, women activists. You know, no sooner than we got there, the police unfurled the warning banner saying, if you don't disperse, Within five minutes, you know, you take the consequence. But as soon as they unheard, in less than a minute, they start firing the tear gas. Um, so we were all trying to run away as well. In that sense, it's both a bullying as well as intimidating tactics to instill fear among these young people, among all of us, who they're as supporters. I guess the powerful lesson I got out of it is, when you are one of the many's, that fear dissipates, and you do what you feel is right to stand in solidarity. And I think the lesson is what capitalists would do mm. to dismantle, to destroy and to wipe away these communities of love.
1: I'm going to um, ask you questions that you presented (laughs) to an audience that I was in. What is the world you want to leave for the next generation?
0: Well, aside from a safe and clean planet... As much as possible, I want to use whatever I, I have to help create a world that's just, that's more just, where resources can be justly shared. To me, I think this is where the challenging of all these systemic barriers and progressive class politics comes in.
1: And what values are you willing to die for?
0: Now, I can be very highful and say, I'll die for... You know, I'll definitely die for my grandchildrens, my kids. But <laughs> um, I would die for what I feel is right. Liu Xiaobo, the the Chinese Nobel Peace Laureate from 2010, uh, he ended up dying in 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 prison in China in 2017. His famous quote is, uh, "Freedom of expression." Is the foundations of human rights. Right now, say, for example, with all the increasing suppressions as part of the aftermath of the 2019 pro-democracy movement, China has imposed the national security law for Hong Kong. Right now, I have more than five friends who are in prison, who are trade union leaders uh, in Hong Kong, who are in prison, just waiting for trial. It's both heartbreaking, but also at at the same time, really outraging. It's when you see these, these are activists who have only used their voice, their imaginations, their, their hard work in pushing for a just society. And then now they end up languishing in, in jail. Okay, this is, I'm reading a couple of quotes from Arundhati Roy' uh, speech at, at the World Social Forum in 2003. Our strategy should not only be to confront empire, but to lay siege to it, to deprive it of oxygen, to shame it, to mock it with our art. Our music, our literature, our stubbornness, our joy, our brilliance, our sheer relentlessness, and our ability to tell our own stories. Stories that are different from the ones we are being brainwashed to believe. The corporate revolution will collapse if we refuse to buy what they are selling, their ideas, their versions of history, their wars, their weapons, their notions of inevitability. Remember this: we be many, and they be few. They need us more than we need them. other world is not only possible; she's on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. Nice.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> Very nice. Very is there anything you want to add as closing notes, or?
0: No, I guess I'm. I consider myself really fortunate as an activist having all of you and so many others as my comrades, you know? So it's in that sense, the, both the solidarity and the friendship and that sense of community that, you know, we'll keep on marching. I think, you know, that phrase, we made the road by walking. Yeah. And that's how we cut our path for social justice. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Downstream From What is a co-creation of myself, Ken Moffat, and Ben McCarthy. Art is by Autumn Fazari. original score by Ben McCarthy. Downstream From What is created under the auspices of the Jack Layton Chair, and is funded by the Dean Faculty of Arts, the Dean Faculty of Community Services at Toronto Metropolitan University.